Thank you for your singing. If you'll remain standing, we're going to read some scripture. This is just a couple verses from Joshua chapter 19 and a little bit of a summary of what we're going to look at this morning. So you can follow along as I read. This is Joshua 19, 49 through 51. Uh, when they had finished dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua, the son of Nun, an inheritance among them as the Lord had commanded. They gave him the town he asked for, timnath Surah, in the hill country of Ephraim, and he built up the town and settled there. These are the territories that Eliezer the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel assigned by Lot at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and so they finished dividing the land. Let's, uh, let's pray together, and then we'll jump into this. Lord, we're so thankful to be here today. Uh, thank you for the beautiful day, uh, for sunshine. Uh, thank you for uh, the freedom we have to come together as the body of Christ and to worship, uh, to encourage one another, and to hear from you. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word today, that your spirit would open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. May we be like Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And Lord, I pray specifically for some here today that maybe are discouraged and just need an encouraging word from you. Lord, we pray that they will hear that this morning. Lord, uh, bless us now. Uh, Lord, we pray from uh, many of our church family that are uh, traveling this weekend. Uh, uh, Lord, I pray that you would bring them back to us safely. And uh, Lord, we look forward to uh, this week as we think about uh, the cross, as we think about the empty tomb, and as we celebrate um, next Sunday the, the greatest day in human history. Uh, with the most significant event, the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the hope that that gives us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have been with us, we've been uh, going through the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, and we have been in Joshua for about three months. And this morning, we're biting off a big chunk of Joshua, uh, chapter, I think it's chapter 13 through chapter 19. Uh, because, And it's kind of an overview of... Uh, uh, the really the topic of the book, which is conquering. So remember the context here uh, that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and then a whole generation dies off and Moses, their leader, dies of 40 years. And now a new leader's on the scene. It's Joshua. And now they're uh, on the verge of the Jordan River. It's at flood stage. And God works a miracle and divides the Jordan River, and two million Israelites finally set foot into the promised land, the land that God promised to give them. And then we know that their task was to conquer the land, and uh, the Bible doesn't highlight all the battles. It mentions them. It focuses in on a few that we're familiar with, uh, Jericho and Ai. Uh, they conquer the land, and uh, that brings us to where we are this morning now they're going to divide the land. And so this is about dividing up the inheritance. What could go wrong with dividing an inheritance? Huh? That always goes real smoothly, doesn't it? Uh, it went pretty smoothly, as we're going to see here in, uh, in Joshua uh, this morning. So we're going to look at overview of the text, and then we're going to spend most of our time really thinking about this question that I want you to begin thinking about right now. Um, what is our inheritance? 
as followers of Jesus. And I hope that as we look at that and discover that, that we will um, be very much encouraged as we think about what our inheritance is. So we're going to actually start in Joshua chapter 1 just to kind of give us the context here, the mandate, what God wanted Joshua and the Israelites to do. And uh, the mandate was to divide and conquer. And this is all related to the Abrahamic covenant. Why does the land belong to Israel? Because God promised Abraham this land. And you go to Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15 and you read about this this covenant between God and Abraham, that Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. All the world is going to be blessed through you. That was fulfilled in Jesus. But also a part of this promise that God gave to Abraham was the promise of land. And he promised to Abraham and his descendants this land. So um, that's that's the, the context of all this. And of course, the Canaanites were in the land and God said, I want you to, to destroy the Canaanites. And we looked a couple of weeks ago at why that was when we looked at the sin of the Canaanites and their great wickedness, and God wanted them totally destroyed. So this is all about conquering and dividing the land. In Joshua chapter 1, the word land is used six times. Uh, verse verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give them. And all through chapter 1, uh, God talks to Moses, uh, Joshua about the land. Um, and then the word inheritance in chapters 13 through 21, the word inheritance is found 50 times. And so here's the, here's the mandate, conquer the land. They pretty much had that accomplished, although there were still some pockets of Canaanites left in the land. And now we're going to divide it up to the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, how do you divide up an inheritance? <laughs> it, it can be a very um, sticky thing if you've ever been involved in uh, settling an inheritance amongst people. Uh, remember, there's a story in uh, Luke chapter 12 where uh, Jesus is teaching and a man comes to Jesus and says, uh, will, you, will you help me with this family problem? And, and we're squabbling over an inheritance. And Jesus used that to teach a lesson about don't be greedy and... Uh, you, you need to make sure your heart is right with God. Uh, and so here's the method that God used, and it's an interesting method, and he actually gave it to Moses. And so I'm going to uh, read Numbers chapter um, 33, verses 51 through 54. Here's how they did it. The method they used was casting lots. And God spoke to Moses in Numbers 31, uh, 51 through 54. And do I have the right verse there? I don't. So it's chapter 33. There we go. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their carved images and their idols, demolish all their high places, take possession of the land and settle it, for I have given you the land to possess. Distribute the land by lot, casting lots. According to your clans, to a larger group, give it a larger inheritance. To a smaller group, a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. And so here's how they did it. It was kind of a random thing. They cast lots. 
that's interesting because there's several places in Scripture where it talks about casting lots. That's how they divided the land. Um, maybe the most familiar one to us is uh, to think about uh, in Acts chapter 1, remember after uh, Judas Iscariot um, betrayed Jesus, committed suicide, they needed to fill his place amongst the 12 apostles. And so how did they do that? They came up with two men. They were both qualified. And we read in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 23, they nominated two men, Joseph and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. So we need to fill this spot. Here's two qualified men. They prayed, and they're like, Lord, would you show us which one? Um, they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. And so uh, that's, that's, how the, that's how Judas Iscariot's spot was filled, uh, by, by casting lots. Um, here's the Life Application Bible um, comment on this. Making decisions by casting lots was a common practice among the Hebrews. Little is known about the actual method in Joshua's day. A type of dice may have been used. Another possibility is that two urns were used, one containing tribal names, the other the divisions of the land. Drawing one name from each urn matched a tribe to a region. And so um, we don't know exactly how they did this, but um, they divided up the land by casting lots. Proverbs uh, 16.33 is an interesting proverb. And uh, Proverbs 16.33, we read, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so they divided the land kind of randomly by casting lots. I noticed a moody commentary on this whole matter of casting lots made an interesting insight, and I'll just throw it out there. It says that apparently after the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, this kind of guidance from God was no longer used. So the, we, don't, we don't read anymore about casting lots after Acts chapter 1. And Acts chapter 2, what the Holy Spirit comes, we have God the Spirit, if we know Christ, living inside of us. And so their speculation is um, maybe we don't need to cast lots today. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the completed Word of God that, that they didn't have that can, can guide us and direct us. And so um, the method was casting lots. Uh, I remember uh, a few years ago, uh, I was listening to Jim Samra. Jim Samra is pastor of Calvary Church in Grand Rapids. If you're ever on 96 heading west, there's a large, large church I'm not good with directions. It's on my left-hand side as I'm going that way, um, whatever direction that is. And um, uh, Jim, Jim Samer was talking about a prayer, and um, he actually was talking about the way that God guides us in the different ways in the Bible, and he talked about casting lots. And he says, we actually have done this in our church. We were voting on uh, leadership positions. We had two qualified, equally qualified men for one position. The congregational vote came back a tie. (laughs) And so here's what we did. Like, okay, we're going to pray about this. We're going to put both names in the hat, and God, we're going to trust you. 
that the one we choose is the one that you want. And so um, perhaps there is a place uh, today for that type of uh, guidance and uh, direction. Well, uh, the mandate, conquer and divide, the method, they cast lots. Uh, and now we want to look at the map. And I think most of you, hope, hopefully you have a, a little map that uh, will be key to the next five minutes here because we're just going to give an overview of uh, the divi- dividing up of the land of Canaan. And so um, I've highlighted the, the 12 uh, tribes here. So let's just uh, look at this um, as an overview uh, first of all, there are two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan. This was actually uh, taken care of by Moses before Moses died. Uh, Moses assigned these uh, two and a half tribes in uh, Numbers chapter 32. Um, Moses did this. Numbers 32, the Reubenites and the Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eliezer, the priest, and to the leaders of the community. Um, Verse 5, if I have found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. So there are two and a half tribes. It was Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. There's 12 tribes in Israel. And they came to Moses and they said, you know what, we're, we're farming people. We have a lot of animals. There's a lot of good pasture over here on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Could we please have that land as our inheritance? And um, Moses granted that to them. Uh, and so uh, in Joshua chapter uh, 13, uh, we have the dividing up of the two and a half tribes. And you see them there on the right-hand side of the map. On the eastern side, it's Manasseh, it's Gad, and it's Reuben. So there's uh, two and a half of the the 12. Now, uh, as we come to Joshua chapter 14, um, verse 1 through chapter 17, verse 18, long section of scripture, but Here they are, now they're dividing up two and a half tribes on the west side of the Jordan. And so in that uh, chapter, those chapters, it's, uh, notice in the south, uh, Judah, and then Ephraim, a little north of that, and then the other half of Manasseh. So now they have uh, five of the tribes have assigned their uh, land, their inheritance, now, for, for a Jew, this is very important. These, these uh, tribal ancestries, what tribe they come, are, are very important. Uh, some of us can relate to that because uh, some of us in our family line and heritage have, have traced where our ancestors came from. Uh, my dad did this a number of years ago, and we traced the Clark family ancestors back uh, a long, long ways, and there was a captain, Alexander Clark, that came over on a ship from Scotland to the U.S. so we can trace our ancestry to. Um, this, was, this was important for a Jew. In fact, what tribe was Jesus from? Judah. He's in Revelation chapter 5. He's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so Jesus descended from, from uh, this tribe here in uh, Judah. Well, so two and a half tribes on the east side, two and a half tribes on the west side. Now we come to chapters 18 and 19, 
and it's dividing up the rest of the land. And before they they do that, uh, a significant event that is mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 18 says, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh, this is Joshua 18.1, and set up the tent of meeting there. So uh, what they did here is they set up, the tent of meeting is the tabernacle. So a priority was they, now they're in the land. Remember the tabernacle was a movable place of worship, but now they're, they're setting it up and I have circled on your map in red Shiloh, where Shiloh is. It's, it's from the um, territory given to Ephraim. It's not totally central to all the rest of the tribes, but it pretty much is central, which would be uh, beneficial for people traveling to the uh, tabernacle to worship, that it be centrally located. And so they set up the tabernacle in Shiloh uh, there. Well, the rest of ch- chapters 18 and 19 then is um, dividing up the rest of the land. Now we got seven tribes left. And so uh, if you, you follow on your, your map here, I'm just going to uh, read them off here. Uh, there's the tribe of uh, Benjamin uh, that is uh, just uh, kind of below Shiloh. Then there's Simeon to the very south, Zebulon, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali and Dan. All right, and Dan. In fact, there's a couple little sections there for uh, for Dan. And so uh, this was the whole goal: conquer the land. And now we want it divided up, and the people take possession of the land. There's still a few Canaanites left in the land. There's still a few pockets of the enemy, and we'll look at that um, in a few weeks. That uh, that Joshua at the age of 85, says, hey, uh, I'll drive out those, uh, those Anakim, those giants in the hill country, and uh, I'll be glad to, to take that task on. Uh, but for the most part, the land is settled. And as we read in our scripture reading uh, this morning, the, the last part of um, chapter 19, that uh, they divide up the land and then they give Joshua a, a place to live And it says, so they finished dividing the land. Well, that's just a quick overview of um, how they assigned the inheritance. But I want to take the rest of our time and most of our time thinking about this question. Do we have an inheritance? If you got home after church today and noticed on your cell phone you missed the call and uh, you listened to your voicemail and... uh, a person's on your voicemail, and it's an attorney, and he says, well, we've been trying to get a hold of you, and I've got some important information, but um, you have actually a, a very distant relative that recently passed away, and they have very little family, and I need to contact you because um, you are included in their will and in their inheritance, and uh, that, might, that might get you a little curious, a little, a little excited, like, wow. You know, they're wonder what that is. Is that money? Is it a house? Is it land? And we would be very uh, excited and curious about that. And so that's the question we want to think about this morning. If you know Jesus as your Savior, do you have an inheritance? And of course, the answer is decidedly yes. And we're going to think about two aspects of that. There's a 
a present inheritance right now. Uh, there's also a future inheritance coming. So uh, let's let's look at that question. Uh, do we have an inheritance? Yes. And let's think about our present inheritance. And I'm just going to touch on a, a little bit of this. We could we could make this very very long because I'm just hitting a few of the things. But what do we inherit when we invite Jesus into our life and become part of uh, salvation? Well, one thing is a new family, that we have a new family. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says, we're all sons and and daughters of of Christ, and we've all been adopted into a family. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, John talks about this family that we uh, have adopted, been adopted into in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. <laughs> and so what we inherit is a whole new family. We sing that old chorus, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And God is our Father. And that has great significance. Romans chapter 8 talks about the fact that we can go right into God's presence and we can call him Abba. We can call him Daddy. We, we have this a new family that God has given to us. There's a story early in Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 3 where um, Jesus is teaching and he's preaching and he's working miracles. And um, if, you, if you know the New Testament, you know that Jesus had other, uh, other siblings and most of them, maybe all of them, came to know Christ after the resurrection. Certainly his brother James came to know Christ after the resurrection. Can you imagine growing up, trying to process that your brother is claiming to be God? <laughs> and, and so I'm sure there were some interesting family dynamics in Mary and Joseph's home. And in Mark chapter 3, it says, Jesus entered a house and a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. (laughs) Some of Jesus' family members said, I don't know what's going on, but he's kind of crazy. And so they wanted to, like, you know, come back with us. And, you know, I don't know what they had planned to do. But at the end of the text, we don't have time to read it. Um, verse 31, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call to him. A crowd was sitting around him. They told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus said, who are my mother and brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. Jesus saying, this is my family. (laughs) And so um, we have this great inheritance of the family of God, and there's uh, all sorts of uh, benefits to to that. One of the key ones is that God now is our Father. Uh, Secondly, uh, I would say the righteousness of Christ we inherit. This is the gospel This is what we're going to think about in this coming week. Uh, What the cross accomplished, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin 
became sin for us so that in him, when we put our faith in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And so Christ's perfection and payment for our sin debt has been credited to our account. We inherit, when we place our faith in Jesus, the righteousness of Christ. And so positionally, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us our sin if we receive Christ. He sees us in Christ justified. It literally could be paraphrased. He sees us just as if we've never sinned because our sin debt's been paid for by Jesus. I hope you're thankful for that. Third one, um, we have the inheritance of the Holy Spirit, that when we receive Christ as our Savior, uh, the Scriptures say He then takes up residence in our life. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, and 20. What don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? By the way, you don't belong. Your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And so Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul's listing all these blessings we have in Christ. Uh, he says, you, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's uh, possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit that lives within us is like the down payment, uh, the, the, the kind of the engagement ring in realizing that um, there's a future wedding coming. It's the completion of our salvation. It's the uh, Lamb's uh, marriage supper that Revelation talks about. When our, when our salvation will be complete. There are many other things that we have as our present inheritance, but I want us to focus in, in our last 15 minutes here, think about uh, our future inheritance. So there's three tenses of our salvation. There is uh, justification. That's If you know Christ, that's the past tense. And we can say, I have been saved. For me, I mark... Um, November 1963, when I received Christ as my Savior as a young boy. So that's the past tense. And then there's a, a present tense of salvation, and that's called sanctification. So we could also say, well, I am being saved. <laughs> and what do we mean by that? And that means that uh, God is still at work in us, and he's um, wanting to conform us to be what more and more like Jesus and that's the process that we're in right now, that his goal is for us to think like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus. And that's that sanctification process. And uh, so we can say, I, I am being saved. But there's a third aspect of our salvation, and they call it glorification. That's the completion of our salvation. And so we could also say, I will be saved someday. <laughs> And, and that's the completion of our salvation. That's when we're in heaven with him, and it's called glorification. And so uh, let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and then we'll talk about what this, more specifically, what this future inheritance is. Here's how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1, uh, 3 through 6. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. We have a living hope. What is that living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's, that's next Sunday. We'll talk about what the significance of that is. So we have this living hope. And into an inheritance that never perishes, spoils, or fades. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Uh, Verse 6 goes on to say, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And so 1 Peter was written to believers who are being persecuted, suffering under Nero and the Roman government. It would be 1 Peter is written to the Ukrainian believers what they're experiencing today. Yeah, you're, you're going through grief. You're going through suffering. You're going through horrific things. But you know what? We can rejoice. Why? Because if you know Jesus, you have an inheritance waiting for you, a future inheritance in heaven. Those descriptive words, it's imperishable. It won't spoil. It won't fade. It won't lose its value. It's, it's, it's guaranteed. And then Peter says, he makes it personal, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. 